Hello everyone and welcome to Primecast, episode 20, News and Announcements. We had a lot going on at Privateer Press over the past few weeks. Let's rewind the highlights. The newest faction and next army for War Machine was announced, the Chimera Shadow Flame Shard, which marks the second Warlock-led army for War Machine and features a whole host of dragon ninjas ready to stalk your opponent across the battlefield. Also announced, along with numerous previews through social media, was the Kador Annihilator's cadre, Tatiana Sikora, and her group of elite man-o'-war that can be included in Winter Core armies as well as an upcoming second Kador army to be announced. Both Shadow Flame Shard Core Army Starter and the Annihilator Cadre are due to release in late December. In the meantime, the Shadow Flame Shard Preview Battle Group is available in the Privateer Press online store, includes the Hydrex and Vipix Heavy War Beast, as well as the Warlock Rasik Spawn of Shadows. You can learn more about the Chimera in the news section of the Privateer Press website, as well as in the first fiction featuring Chimera, Emergence, by Eric Ryerson, available to all War Machine app subscribers. Also added to the Privateer Press online store this month, the Signar Storm Legion starters are back in stock, and numerous individual units and solos have been made available, including Sea Raider War Witches, Storm Legion Stormblades, and a whole lot more. If you've been watching our social media posts, you may have noticed the previews of something very big that we're bringing to Warfare Weekend for this year's legendary event conclusion, Dragonfall. It's going to be an event like nothing we've ever done before with something we've never even thought was possible. A full-scale Iron Kingdom's Dragon. This is going to be a historic event for War Machine, so if you're headed to Warfare Weekend, make sure you grab one of the remaining spots in the Dragonfall Narrative event so you can say you're a part of shaping the future of the Iron Kingdoms. And if the events are already full, don't forget to hop on that waiting list. If you're a subscriber to the War Machine app, you'll be able to follow the Dragonfall storyline by Aaron Rudell, starting with this week's update. And finally, we wrap up this month with a bevy of new releases in stores on September 27th, including two... Hot new releases for Monster Apocalypse, the newest monster for the Tritons, Archipelagon, and the Triton unit pack featuring the Kraken Hatchlings, Orca Huntsman, and Sea Dragon. And for War Machine, we saw the release of individual House Callis Warjacks, the return of Hazaroth, Nisisir of Ruin, the House Callis Void Engine, and Whites, bringing their 80mm solo to the tabletop. We also released the character Warjack packs for Sea Raiders, Storm Legion, Winter Core, and House Callis. Keep an eye on Privateer Press Online Store for variant Warjack chassis as they roll out for each army. That's the news for Primecast Episode 20. Let's get on with the show. Oh, I guess I should say, roll drums. Hello everyone and welcome to Primecast episode 20. I am here with Eric Ryerson. Eric, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Hey, privateers. Always good to have you on. You have so much interesting perspective and you're right at the heart of development for what's going on in War Machine. And with all the new Chimera stuff coming out, it seemed like the perfect time to pull you on to talk about What's going on? You know, there's my whole Instagram and Facebook and Twitter feeds just been dragon men galore. I'm really loving the way a lot of the models are turning out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
What's your favorite so far? Let's let's talk about a little bit of aesthetic because uh, everybody's seen the models. What was the one that you were like, oh yeah, I was really well, happy seeing that. The wyvern came yeah! out. Incredibly. Same here. Um, when I saw that on Primecast Plus, I lost my stuff. The Shadowmancer Scion is looking pretty incredible. I imagine you guys will see a leak of that soon if you haven't already. That's the um, one we shared on Friday? Perhaps. Forearms. Six arms. Yeah, it's forearm, something like that. Yeah, it's freaking great. Rassic, I love the way he came out. I think he has a lot of presence. He looks pretty formidable. He was like the first model we drafted rules for and mm -hmm. started working with from the beginning and, and it's a lot of these models almost look like caster adjacent with how much character the sculptors and the i know right i was thinking the same thing and there's more too like even their small support solo almost looks like a caster in their own right when you <laughs> guys finally see that uh i love it so much rich flavor it's great to see him come along from, you know, conception to seeing the final results and having several exceed your expectations significantly. Well, while we're on the topic of conception, we can roll right into that segue. I would love to hear about where did they come from? I mean, we literally, you know, we know so little about them, just the little bits of tidbit of like uh, they're dragons and they're ninjas. So fill us in. <laughs> that's very much the topic we're exploring in the uh, emergence storyline on the app right now the faction has sort of been in motion since uh saren and rias first came on the scene hmm. saren being the clairvoyant of the twins she's been uh guiding the guiding force for them and when everblight was conquering all the nis uh saren had her sister mercy kill like their entire tribe <laughs> and then they defeated uh thagrosh the vessel of everblight and instead of killing him, bargained to receive shards in return. Interesting. And at that point, it was already very, you know, interesting. It's like if they wanted to join him for power, why would they sacrifice their whole tribe first? Because they would all be add to their power if they had joined as well. Mm -hmm. So he sort of got this glimpse that she had ulterior motives from the very beginning. Yeah, she was weakening Everblight. Well, her goal was for their personal power and gain for where her their destinies headed mm -hmm. and she just detected that almost you know dr strange finding that one path to victory it's like this is where what we got to do this is the stepping stones to lead to our destiny and this is how we gain power and the authentic which similar to how we're human, but we don't necessarily know how our bodies work compared to like a doctor who studies the functions mm -hmm. and everything. She studied this authentic from the moment she got it. She tested it constantly and she learned more about it than probably even the dragons know about it themselves and how it works, how it reacts to things. And she slowly eventually was able to close off Everblight's connection and shield her sister. And that happened in the previous fluff mm -hmm. and then led up to the, the point in henge hold where she told her sister like this is it this is the answer everblight's gonna be drawn to it too and she knew that the answer and the source of power and sort of their next step in evolution required cirrus and it's strange because cirrus and the athanks are completely anathematic where mm -hmm. the athanks all their power is derived from flesh like all their flesh crafting, all Mutagenesis. their power. It's all 
uh, by a bio, yeah. whereas Cirrus is the polar opposite. Mm-hmm. I mean, these two are the most extremely opposing forces you can imagine. How and merging their power required, you know, long-term planning that she didn't even really fully understand or successfully harness as she wished. But when she got to the gate, provoked Cirrus and tried to absorb the power that inevitably obliterated her physical form, mm. she succeeded partially and she got some of that power. And when Rias then grabbed her shard and merged to it to shut out Everblight, or at least hoped it would work, which it fortunately for her did, she now had an attachment to this new energy and power that she had never felt before. And so, yes, they're two shards of an authentic combined together, which is powerful in its own right, but they contain this immense power that shouldn't be there. Like mm. everything they make is naturally wrong and opposes both sources, but they've found a way to commingle it and make themselves something greater than the sum of their parts. Right on. What an awesome story. And talk about an emergence of a warlock kind of coming into their own to be something greater. Because, you know, when we talk about Everblight, when we talk about Cirrus, we're talking about God level, dragon level power here. And now we're seeing the twins kind of rise into their own level at that same, you know, epic story. And we got to be part of it through the additions, which is kind of the best part. And uh, the story, which will continue to advance, will try and cover the 21 years of, okay, this is the the seed being planted. This is, you know, the very beginning. But mm. how do they get from point A to point B, uh, gaining as much power as they have and actually being a force that could challenge major nations? And that's what we're <laughs> going to see. Awesome. Awesome. So anything else, any, any other tidbits of fiction you got there in your bag of goodies? Cause that was, that was a whopper. Uh, the fiction, um, our schedule is super cramped, so I'm not sure when the next piece releases, but the next piece will see them finally having some conflict uh, with more defined factions in the fiction, not just the cephalics that you saw in part one and I'm sure it'll, several are probably interested in what that looks like. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. I know that adding the fiction to the app has made it so accessible and easy to like, oh, I want to read this later. I want to read this when I come back. Five minutes, you know, standing in line. Oh, I'm doing groceries now. Like, I can keep up with it so much easier. So I, I love it. Yeah, the small bites does help because sometimes when I go to sit down and read a book, it feels overwhelming. Like, <laughs> And whereas when I know it's going to be, you know what, I can get through this in 15, half an hour, you know, oh, yeah. I can come through it. And you've always got it in your pocket if you just want to come back to it later. True. So um, that takes us through the beginning up to now, uh, which we know a little bit about some of the models. We know a little bit about some of the z- design. So from the developer's brain, what are some things you can tell us about the faction, how they play, you know, how you see them on the table? What is the design here? Something we're really striving for with the factions is that we are making more uh, armies where the reason you want to play it is because it's fun and feels different than other things, not mm-hmm. just because its numbers are higher or, you know, it's we're trying to avoid power creep and the way we avoid that, but still make things interesting is by adding sort of unique flair and flavor to things as you play them. 
And the thing we're really targeting with the Shadow Flame Shard is things such as out of normal movement movement. Mm. So see on a lot of models, sidestep, overtake, beat back, uh, sprint, you know, the different abilities that allow you to move independently from your normal movement to make the army feel additionally mobile beyond just having a high speed value. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, as far as overall synergy goes, there's a lot of it. Whereas obviously not everyone can see all the elements right now as a lot of it hasn't been released or spoiled yet, but the rack should give you a pretty good idea too, of just how much is going to be available, all the tricks you'll be able to achieve with even just the three models out right now. What are things you can point out on the rack that stand out as their faction unique or their faction special, or maybe their identity? Well, execration of Blackest Knight definitely favors aggression, which is what this army is all about. You will not see beyond the Hydrix uh, really good guns. All the other guns are more support in nature, any ranged attacks. It's really an aggressive, fast, get-in-your-face melee army. And things like execration supports that, where getting closer to the enemy and engaging with them and surviving in, in turn because of that. You'll see a lot of things about ignoring models to move through them, or we have several that give you um, ghostly or uh, put down a template so you can pass through them. We have things that ignore tough and allow things to sort of assassinate more easily. Overall, the one of the design philosophies is moving uh, damaging offensive spells away from the rack and putting them on the Vipix, which is our first sort of arcane attacking platform beast super cool and yeah the designing that model was really fun where it was trying to make it like intriguing and not just sort of like a side gimmick like a little support model casting it out Mm -hmm. where this is something will actually have it's expensive enough and has enough presence that you want don't just want to use it to sling one spell you want to be active with it. You want it to be participating in the battle and additionally be doing the spells, not just casting the spells. And I like the end result of that. I think both beasts came out really fun in execution and all the different builds you can have have great synergy with different casters. I love that kind of dynamic. When a model has the duality to be able to move into the threat range or move up and threaten different targets and say, all right, I can interact with it this way or if i come over here i can interact with these this way and that target selection that uh ability to be flexible creates a wide range of different play patterns and abilities to apply things and so that is definitely something see me reach for immediately and of the casters so far the first three that you'll be seeing are rasik who is sort of the general commander He's more of a brute than like a fast ninja. However, he still has some of the like sidestepping speed and he will execute whoever he gets to. And he, his like little theme is get the mission accomplished at all costs between last stand and death Mm. march, forcing his troops into battle. And also for his generalship, he's synergizing with beasts protecting and bodyguarding the infantry with base-to-base contact getting close to armor with one of his battle plans. And then the Wall of Fangs, where as they're closing in, even though it's a very aggressive army, if you try and engage them, they're ready for you and they can counterattack and make it difficult for you to try and strike back at them. 
Interesting. Whereas Shiris, the army box caster, she is an extremely nimble, fast, uh, almost support caster where she's throwing out her kunai that can mark enemies to witch marks so she can put debuffs and support her army on them and then sort of slip away into the back lines and let her army do the work. And then we have Nixian, who is sort of the the Shadowmancer caster, and she's very slippery as she mo- uses her magic to move around the table and apply her spell power. And she's not one for martial combat at all, but she is an assassin, and she's a spell assassin, and you will feel that on the tabletop. Ooh, snap. I like that. Is there anything in that of how we talked about the armies that you want to highlight or feel that we missed before we move on? As far as highlighting how the faction works, it's designed very cohesively from the macro and making sure there's just lots of different elements to support lots of different strategies Mm -hmm. and a lot of different compelling strategies where there's options that you may have never even explored or never thought of because it wasn't similar to something you had previously played, but there's a lot of depth to the faction even if you can play it at sort of face value and still get something out of it the more you play it you'll unlock sort of more options and go you can go pretty deep into it i love it i love it that's awesome the high skill ceiling but low skill floor is always a fun place agreed we've talked about how they play we talked about where they come from we've seen a little bit about where they're going next do you have any parting shots you want to say before we finish up with the portion where we talk about chimera i guess a little parting shot is for any of you ordering your army box through your retailer if your retailer orders the bundle deal they will get access to special holiday themed quick fang master models Ooh, nice and those will be semi-rare. Currently, the only way to get them is through ordering that bundle through a retailer. And I think they're pretty good holiday flair, and they make a nice alt sculpt for your unit attachment for your quick things. I love it. And I have to give you guys a compliment, too. The warehouse team has been on it. Like, Orgoth Sea Witches went live as being an individual blister that I could buy. I had been waiting for that moment. Literally, like... Mark your calendars, boys, because it's coming. I needed that second unit of witches really bad. Honestly, it like unlocks several of my lists that I have been waiting to play. And so I sent in the order the day that the sale went live. And like that next morning, I got a shipping notification. And it, it'll be here like within a few days. It, it, you guys are on it. I love seeing that kind of quick turnaround. The flood of Chimera preview box orders had us pretty bogged down but we were sort of <laughs> anticipating it so Good. we had things pretty like assembly line set up so that we could be jamming those out we had pre-taped shipping boxes to try and store them all and like get whatever people added to their order inside awesome. and it's been quite a frenzy this past few weeks but we're, we're there we're things are pretty caught up so That's awesome. And with a busy person like yourself, developing, playing in the warehouse, do you find time to play? And if you do, what are you playing? What are you painting? What's on your table these days? We're actually presently organizing a little mini league of uh, warehouse staff. Oh, nice. And I intend to be playing Rassic in that little league. Good choice. I'm painting him in sort of uh, earth tones 
like to accentuate more of the organic side of his origins, even though the studio scheme is impressive. It's well beyond my abilities. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, how many times have I looked at a scheme and thought, you know, simple it is for me then. (laughs) But it's beautiful. It looks absolutely stunning. And I can't wait to see yours. You have to share us pictures on the uh, Facebook group, on Twitter, anywhere. Yeah, I'm a family man, so finding that time to paint is slow, but I will try and get it out and get at least the battle group together. Awesome. I actually just finally got both my lists fully painted for Orgoth as of, like, right before this podcast. Like, I was just finishing my third mechanic. Like, whee! And if you haven't shared those pictures, his army looks pretty great, by the way. Thank you. You know, I put a lot of TLC into it, and I have, so I have a fun story about getting that all together, too. I like to put a little bit of dramatic flair to my armies, want it to pop out on the table, so I've been doing these ocean bases on everything, where it's like they're on kind of a rocky cliff somewhere, and the water's spraying up around them, or they're like wading through into the beach, and... I have been going all over trying to find like little sea creatures to add to the bases, like uh, starfish or a little octopus or something. I thought it would be cute and give some scale or whatever. And so I went into a train store the other day and I was looking at the various things that they had. And they had a tiny little eel and a tiny little turtle that I was able to find as well as like some seaweed and stuff. So I'm going to be able to upscale with some, uh, some extra scenic bases now i'm really excited that's really awesome i love scenic bases me too um i've been doing cork bases forever it's just simple uh back in colorado one of the press gangers was like hey i like your models but let's let's kick it up a notch and i was like i don't know bases take so much time and he was like look slap some cork on it glue it down pick it apart done and so i've just been expanding on variations of cork bases for you know, 15 years now. I like when armies just look cohesive and more themed together. That's Me actually too. why I really love the initiative for themed defenses that'll be released throughout our various narrative events and such to hit different armies and get that extra feel on the tabletop. Heck yeah, I definitely need the pirate themed defenses for my Orgoth. It's going to fit right in. Uh, and I like the the armies in general, how they're smaller, the themes really kind of tie together. Right towards the end of the last edition, I was really scooping up all the little mini armies we were creating, and I, I like that feel. It, it just kind of makes me feel like I have it in this very special, I don't know, I don't know how to describe that, like that quintessence, right? Like, it's got a soul it's got a feeling it's not just dudes on a table anymore in the past sometimes when choosing an army just based on stats and abilities you'd get these pretty disparate elements that didn't necessarily match on the tabletop covering different flavors and flares from the factions but with things reduced to armies generally things will look a lot more cohesive yeah Absolutely. I love it. I think it's a lot of fun to put on the table. And now that I'm done with my Orgoth, it is just in time for me to paint what's next. And I think it's going to have to be some Chimera. Freaking yeah. I'm happy Freaking, to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited for Chimera. I can't wait to slap him down on the table. Windmill slam engaged. Well, that was fun. Our shop talk. Always nice to just catch up get the warm and fuzzies and get connected again. Always great to have you on, Eric. I can't wait to the next time. Anything you want to say? It was great to be here. Fun just to chat and talk about what I'm excited about. Heck yeah. You want to say roll drums? Roll drums. (laughs) I love the dramatic pause there. I'm leaving it. I'm leaving it. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome back. In this segment, I'm joined by the hosts of Tried and True, or at least two of them, as I understand. I've got with me Erica and Paul. How are you doing today? Hi, Emmanuel. Hello, everybody. Hi, Emmanuel. Thank you for having us. Welcome back, Erica, and welcome, Paul. It's good to have you. You've been doing a lot of amazing work out there, putting out content, making videos, conventions, just every time I turn on the War Machine Facebook group, boom, there you guys are. So what's been going on? What's tried and true and what have you been up to? Um, so tried and true started off as a little five episode podcast series. The idea was that before my daughter was born, I, I went to uh, and uh, Andy, Erica, and Dan said, you know, I, I really want to create this project of, you know, trying to recreate communities post-COVID. And it just kind of blossomed to what it is right now, where we, uh, Erica, ended up starting making all these battle reports and these funny YouTube shorts. Uh, the podcast ended up just continuing doing what it is. And I mean, then Erica, we ended up uh, adopting the Nova Open, right? Yeah. Just to uh, kind of go off what Paul was saying, she originally started with, with just the podcast and kind of blossomed into uh, what we are today. So we're really trying to pay it forward with our community now. So like, first off, thank you so much, Dollar War Machine, everybody who's, I mean, tried and true is really a small part of our community as a whole, and we couldn't accomplish any of this stuff that that we're doing without our community. So thanks guys for that. We're trying to share like our lessons learned and things that uh, we've done over the past couple of years. So I think we've been kicking it since like 2021, our, our meta, um, and just trying to get, you know, the lessons learned and, and things that have worked for us, things that haven't worked for us out to the uh, the greater War Machine community, which kind of goes into our new project, which is the community finder website that uh, my brother Dan and I have been working on for the past several weeks. It's actually been a really fun project. We basically, um, we collect a lot of information from metas all over the world. So more than like outside the United States and Originally, it was just going to be a little segment of saying like, hey, come on to the show for like 10 minutes or so. Talk about where you are so that way we can get the word out and just kind of pitch like, why don't like we got so many people interested. Why don't we turn into like a website where people can go ahead and find out where this place is being played? So um, there's Google form that's out there where you can uh, end up signing this information. And basically what happens is that we pull it, we kind of filter it into a way that's um, like three lines worth of text onto the site. So that way they can figure out where the club is located, when do they meet, how they can get in contact with the people there, what are the play styles that you'd expect to go ahead and see there. And then Dan ended up pitching this idea about doing an interactive map. So as soon as you go onto the page, you end up seeing like this map. And it, it like I keep on saying to people, it warms my heart just seeing how many active communities around the world are playing this game and it just it, again we, we we champion and we you know talk about this idea of community it just really uh i guess multiplies it i don't know or, or it, it just it, it's exponential in, the, in its growth and just seeing about how it's you know reaching worldwide awesome well it sounds like every good story starts with a seed and ends up a wildfire and um we really have to give a special thanks and shout out to Seth Cohen, uh, Steve Rabideau, uh, and Gonzo, especially Seth. Seth's kind of been my uh, mentor and coach when it comes to being a tournament organizer or being a judge. And 
um, some of the things that he really champions about the player experience and community really uh, resonated with me personally. And, and I'm sure the rest of, um, you know, our, our community leads in the area. So uh, I want to thank him for that. And uh, yeah, he's a cool dude. Looking forward to the broker brawl shout out. Um, but thank you. Thank you, Seth. So I want to piggyback on that too, is that he's um, I, I like even like trying to balance this, this hobby and the content creation stuff with family life. And he's definitely been a force with that. So I, I agree. Like Seth, if you're out there listening, like, thank you so much. Well, not that I don't want to talk about your amazing community, but I didn't bring them on. I brought you on. I'm holding your feet to the fire because <laughs> let's dispense with the pleasantries. Enough niceties. Time for war. And you guys just had an amazing convention that I brought you on to talk about. And so I'd love to talk about the lead up for that and what it took to get ready, what that experience was like, and then any thoughts you had afterwards. Who wants to queue up first? Erica. <laughs> Erica, why don't you go Hello. ahead and lead in with that? Um, <laughs> sure. How it happened. Sure. So um, we've just started uh, traveling to more conventions over the past year and a half going on uh, two years. So last year we went to Nova for the first time and uh, we participated pretty much in most of the War Machine events that were happening that weekend. We were approached by the lead TO at the time that I think uh, he was looking to take a take a break from it. He had been doing it for a while and he was just like, hey, I heard you guys are doing some great stuff for your community. How would you feel about running Nova next year? Uh, so I looked at uh, Dan and Andy. I think, Paul, you were there and uh, we're just like, sure we'll throw a hat in the ring and we were given this like tub of like 30 chess clocks so at that point we knew that we were uh we were committed um it was definitely a, a big step for us prior to that our largest event was an 18 person steamroller our first sussy scuff um so to go from a local steamroller to uh something much larger on a national scale uh was a mammoth of a project <laughs> <laughs> but again, we're so fortunate to have other advocates and members of our community where it's like I could reach out to, um, you know, my fellow TOs or people who run War Machine events at, um, you know, at other conventions and just be like, you know, what are your recommendations? What's worked for you? What hasn't? And coincidentally, I think Paula had just finished doing a podcast series uh, interviewing um, all different kinds of TOs at different levels from like your local steamroller to a regional IG qualifier to a full-fledged convention. Um, so at the end of the day, we wanted to do right by the game that we love so much and represent our community at such this large scale and and put on a, a good show and a good um, experience for our players that uh, we hope they will come back and we can continue to grow. Awesome. And so you get control of 30 chess clocks and the event, it becomes a mammoth undertaking, uh, but you pull it off. Yeah. Um, so again, with going to a couple conventions and with Nova last year, uh, it, it was actually a really, the, the timing was perfect for this. So it was the first year our community was running Nova. It was the first year for the Mark IV launch. So it was really kind of this celebration of all this newness. Let's please be able to pull it off without it just blowing up in our faces. Um, so we really wanted to focus on um, uh, multiple aspects of the community. So of course we had the IG qualifier and, you know, some of those more hyper competitive events, but we also wanted to offer and host things uh, for your casual crowd, for the returning crowd. Um, so 
we would run, um, you know, we would have an IG qualifier and at the same time we would run just a regular steamroller. That way we had, you know, a different menu of events, so to speak, depending on the, the type of players that were coming. Uh, we were really big uh, how to play demos and shout out to our community. A bunch of our members, the Delaware War Machine donated 75 point armies that people who were at Nova, you know, checking out the game or coming back, or let's say you go to a convention, you don't want to you know, haul around your miniatures, they could actually sign out a 75 point army and play in our events throughout the weekend. Uh, so it was really a, a huge collaborative, thank you, a uh, really huge collaborative community effort. And just to, um, uh, before segueing off of that, I want to say thank you to Ice King, who was there. That's how we were able to get all the live streaming. And uh, Jason Dingrover at Steam and Sorcery donated some terrain that was featured on our table. So thanks, guys. Heck yeah, more shout outs than a hip hop album. Let's keep it going. There was something I wanted to mention. <laughs> There's something I wanted to mention though, is that because you were talking about having the list of the different events. Uh and and the reasoning behind this was that you're going to have a lot of different types of players that want to go to these conventions. And I know the Privateer Press, you know, at Adepticon and Gen Con, you've been having these narrative events being more prominent there and they've been inviting players and whether if it's your hyper competitive players or maybe a different breed of them you're you're inviting people to the table that may not want to go for that hyper competitive steamroller so being able to offer more events more opportunities for people to engage with the hobby and to be able to meet individuals is just better for overall for everyone and really it was just wonderful to be able to have lots of different personalities from lots of different walks of life to be able to enjoy the game how they felt that they would enjoy it best outstanding and it sounds like it was pretty fun tell me more I mean, overall, all the different events, I think, went really, really extremely well. It seemed that all of the uh, players enjoyed all the tables, all the hard work that uh, all of our community members ended up doing in order to go and make that happen. Uh, the narrative event, there, when people were walking away from the narrative event saying, like, man, I can't wait to do this next year. It's the biggest compliment that you can end up having, like Heck being yeah, able to hear just because it says to you, you you put your heart and your soul into these events to try to make them as best as you can. And just to hear that, that, that kudos, that, sh that rah, rah, you're just, you're just, you, the fire is lit for doing it even better for the next year. 100% and couldn't agree more. Yeah, uh, I guess just to run through the rapid gambit of what we had scheduled. So the convention, uh, Nova's a good one. It's 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 a long one. Um, it starts uh, Thursday, indexes on Sunday night. So Thursday we had uh, <laughs> military Lego. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Evander. I do, but for everybody else, <laughs> the end of it. Yeah, the end. Uh, <laughs> so um, Thursday we had how to play open play. We did a 2v2 team roller with a twist where uh, we had um, our teams were randomly like players are randomly assigned a team at registration, which was a lot of fun. So it was a good, you know, one, you didn't have to like come with somebody to the event. It was a good way to, um, you know, mix and match players who may have not have met before or play together. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, Friday, we had our IG qualifier, Nova Steamroller, another how to play sesh. Saturday was our King of Coin and Prince of Pence Steamrollers, our Orgoth <laughs> narrative campaign and WTC Sparring Arena. And then Sunday ended with the Nova Masters. 
Um, the other thing, in addition to streaming, that our community has really adopted for tournaments is using applications like Longshanks to help us not just with pairing and having lists, but it's a great way to have the community at large follow along with our players throughout the weekend to see, you know, who's playing what what lists are out there, uh, what scenarios people are playing on. So it was really great to be able to connect everyone together on that larger scope. Absolutely. And what a wealth of information it was. So tell me more about the narrative event, because I have not got to play in one in some time, and I have had guest after guest tell me how amazing they are. And so so I just get to live vicariously through you. Tell me about that narrative event, please. So the narrative event was something that I really wanted to bring to the Nova uh, Open. When it come down, when it came down to it, there I think there was many different ways that we could have tackled it. When we first heard about doing Nova, the original idea was going to do uh, a bunch of single, uh, three different single events, like an Escalation style with 50, 75, 100. And then it wasn't until that later on in the Adepticons and the Gen Cons, we saw the team on team uh, set up. So segueing into that, we, we kept with our uh, team. So what we had was that there was an Invaders and Defenders similar that you'd see in any other narrative event. And there was actually three different regions. We had Kador tables, Signar tables, and Ios tables. And when it came down to these tables, we really did our darnest to make sure that these tables actually look and felt like these iconic areas in the Iron Kingdoms. Like, for example, the IOS, there was the Workbench Maniac. He ended up making the full IOS and terrain package. So we were able to go and get those towers printed up. So we had full on IOS towers that stood like 10, 10 times higher than any uh, huge base model or, you know, something that, of that scale. We had uh, cannons as well as just like uh, craters and. Uh, dead wastelands up in Kador, and then Signar had, we had our, our iconic henchhole table, as well as a couple other things that you would see in that area. But what happened was that these groups would just deploy to these regions, they would have the defenders and uh, defenders and invaders fighting in these different areas, and the event was a uh, kind of an idea where the Invaders were trying to take over uh, certain areas and then capture civilians to eventually sacrifice them um, at an altar, which was, you know, the escalating to the final event, the the final 100 point scenario. And when we ended up doing our final one, you know, we kind of took a a quick vote, like a pulse, and everyone's like, hey, let's do a team event. So we did a three on three. And it was just really fun to see everyone then kind of like scrambling around the map, trying to stop these sacrifices from taking place. And it was it was great. It was just fun to see everyone kind of be ingenious come up with things uh knocking down towers or uh rubble uh we had a lot of uh myself and andy were acting as dms so like in the graveyard we were saying that there was like a rock troll that was like sleeping in a crypt and like as soon as they like slammed into it like it came out and just started attacking people and it was just fun it was a different way to enjoy the game still using the rules but um you know just just not something that you would normally see in a normal traditional steamroller a very interesting narrative there. I, I love the interactive terrain where something living is literally going to come out of it. It's almost, you know, video game-esque. It's, it's next level. Great job. We uh we we picked up some of that DMing stuff when um Andy and I uh we played with uh, Lauren and the other um 
the team at PP at Adepticon, we did the narrative event. And I was like, oh, how cool is that to have a DM at the table? And uh, the creativity that the players come up with. And Andy had some really clever stuff on, on his tables. I was uh, was very impressed, Lovey. Good job. Um, but it it was very funny, too. That was the thing, too. Like, uh, players that were playing were like, hey, um, you know, can we suggest whatever? I was like, you suggest whatever. If you make me laugh, I'm probably going to say yes. So it was uh, it was it was quite enjoyable. It was also just nice to see players think outside the box. Like if it weren't even from a tactical point of view where maybe your riflemen aren't strong enough in order to go and take out a heavy or, or damage it a lot, but you could go and drop a statue that's like hanging overhead. And then, you know, it just, it, it, it makes you think about the game differently and, and still enjoy it. I almost want to just play like that every week. Just like <laughs> go to the game store and be like, what wacky stuff can we come up with? Who's DMing this week? I mean, no one's stopping you. I mean, I, I even like have the conversation with some of our locals and just, I mean, if you're not preparing for a steamroller, like I, as long as you have the conversation beforehand, like go nuts, go have fun. They're your toys. Well, that is what's stopping me. I have a steamroller and ETA two weeks to be ready. So I got to make sure everything's painted, everything's practiced, everything's played. But you're absolutely right. There is nothing stopping me from a second War Machine night every week where we do narrative stuff. I like where this is going. We also found that um, you'll you'll be able to attract, um, you know, a different population of players. So Saturday was our busiest day at Nova. We had multiple events going on. And I think the, the definitely had the most players that day. We were in the we were in the 30s. So we, we were hustling. But um, a lot of the players like they just came for a narrative. So it was great to be able to you know, provide them a mode of play where, um, you know, they can bring their miniatures and enjoy War Machine in a non-steamroller, non-tournament non kind of way. The other thing, too, is the uh, 3D tables. I think Paul was was hitting off earlier. Definitely turns heads. So that was a, a big thing for us coming to a national, you know, a big venue like this is we're in the same room as some other game systems and their tables are insane. No, I have to say though, it's just, but, but, but you're right though with the, with the tables, because I just remember from Nova last year, cause we were taking it over and we all had all the neoprene stuff where, you know, and again, it makes for a more exact game, but looking at that compared to all the other tables, like we really had to step up our game. So the, the, the constant crafting nights that we had the, everyone pitching together, everybody painting, uh, S, you know, 3d terrain, like it, it definitely made that as successful as it was and just a shout out to the old no quarter magazines i'm gonna let you know those guides for making any of those things still hold up to this day because that's how we made like almost all the stuff that wasn't 3d printed and by golly like did it really look like the iron kingdoms in there outstanding it sounds like nova was a success everybody had a good time the narrative was a blast do you have any parting shots about the nova you want to say Um, so, uh, first off again, we want to thank everybody that helped us, uh, you know, with, with the terrain nights, the crafting, sending us stuff, uh, giving us advice and recommendations and the community members who, uh, were participating at Nova that came out to help us set up, you know, all of our tables. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, we have a, uh, post-convention survey that's on a google form that's out there so for players that came to any of our events or anybody that's um been to a convention or it's it's it's, it's open to anybody um 
this is a, a labor of love and I, you know, I think I could speak on behalf of our team here. We, we want to make it better. So regardless if your criticism is negative or positive, we want to go into 2024, um, you know, best foot forward uh, to put on another great show. So uh, we, we definitely read your guys' feedback and it's tremendously helpful, helpful for us, but yeah, it was fun. It was fun. We definitely, we definitely learned, learned a lot. Um, it was a good experience. You know what I want to see come back for conventions while we're on the topic? War Machine cosplay costume. Cosplay. Oh, they were talking. I was talking about that with uh, Miranda Wargamer Girl. Hey, girl, what's up? Um, the uh, <laughs> we were actually talking about that. How how cool that would be. Um, yeah, we've had cosplay. a few in the past, and some of the most amazing Iron Kingdoms costumes I've ever seen have been at conventions where people had prizes uh, and reasons to dress up. So as long as there's an organized format, it's definitely an area where our you know love for things and crafting overlaps. And so I would love to see more people dressed up in the Iron Kingdoms. That's my feedback. Submit. No, it's, no, sorry. Live. No, I, 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 I agree though with that though. It's um the 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 discussion with that i mean especially with all the new sculpts with all the new mark four stuff by the way like some like the new like chimera stuff that we just got to go take a look at like phenomenal looking and i cannot wait to see more of it but like and i'd be excited to see people take this and try to make it realistic and then while we're all doing our own you know events where we're like looking at all these really cool cosplays right costumes and stuff you see the other people are like oh what is that and then it invites people for a conversation and then they realize like something of this world that they never even knew existed i've seen thagrosh i've seen lilith we did ayana and holt at las vegas open like there are so many cool costumes that aren't actually that difficult unless you're trying to do warcasters because then smokestacks i would want to do old witch and make andy scrap check Yes, that would be the best. Well, I don't know that we can top Andy Scrapjack. That might be the height of the episode. So from this altitude, do you have any parting shots you want to say to the listeners before we call it here? Um, yeah, I would just, uh, again, so our, uh, our community fighter website, we're looking to launch that on October 1st. If, uh, you would like to share your gaming club or LGS, uh, please, please fill out the Google form so we can get you added onto the, added onto the map. No, we're, uh, we're, so we have Sussy Scuff coming up in a couple weeks, two weeks, actually. Uh, and it's sold out. So that, that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, and after that, it's like, we're gonna start planning for, for Nova again, um, we're just again thank you so much to the community um and if you know you're 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 struggling out there with uh, building up your gaming club or you're looking for one um please reach out to us or your fellow tos um to kind of network because when we started it was only like two of us <laughs> so uh we know how difficult it can be to be rebuilt um we definitely love to share our our lessons learned and, and things that we did just to help you know, grow this game and, and grow the community. And we hope to see everybody at Nova 2024. Yeah, pretty much Eric pretty much said everything. So look out for the community site. We'll still be putting out the podcast and the battle reports for that. And again, like once the community finder is there, try to share that information as much as you can. Because again, we're trying to bring people to the table, let people know. And then also there's going to be a looking for group finder on there. So in that case, if you're on your lonesome self, 
then people can try to find you and then we'd be able to get in contact with you to so go ahead and throw this game. So the, the resources are out there. We are here that we want to go ahead and help. So anything we can do to help out the greater community, we're, we're, we're here for you because we've been there. And at this point we we're good. We want to do as much good as possible to help out everybody else. Outstanding. It's been a pleasure to have you both on to hear about Nova, to hear about what's been going on on your side of things and all the excitement and enthusiasm you have to share. And I encourage everybody to also reach out to them and share in their enthusiasm because it is contagious. And with that, Paul, Erica, you know what's coming next. You've listened to Primecast before. Let's see if we can nail it on the first time go. Oh, what is it? Is it play keyboard? (laughs) Oh, well, now I'm going to have to get a keyboard outro. (laughs) (laughs) Emmanuel, thanks. Thanks again for for having us on. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Outstanding. Three, two, one. Roll drums. Roll drums. Close enough. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. In this segment, I am joined by none other than the legendary Doug Hamilton himself, and he has come on to talk about the most epic, huge, I don't even know if there are words, colossal, that's probably not even big enough anymore. What is a gargantuan? No, gargantuan doesn't work. There has to be a word big enough to describe this project. Yeah, I I don't even know what the word would be. (laughs) the english language doesn't have a word for the enormity of what we're about to talk about doug how you doing today i'm doing great it's good to be back on with you i know it's been a while and i've had people asking did you work on this did you work on that and a lot of times it's like no i've been working on some things and it's finally uh the dragon's out of the bag so it's good to (laughs) yeah it's good to get on here and and talk about this a little bit Yeah, just a little bit. We can't spoil too much, but we have been showing pictures on Privateer Press's socials of Blightergast. Nice. Doug delivers with the deep Blightergast. I love it. Um, So tell us about Blightergast. Yeah, so it it, um, obviously Matt came up with this idea of, um, you know, we should we should sculpt blighter gas. No, we can't sculpt blighter gas because you know, and an IK dragon is way too big to ever be sculpted. <laughs> no, no, we can do it. It'll be massive. And, um, you know, these are, these are conversations you have at, at conventions when you're sitting around after hours, uh, you know, drinking sparkling water and, uh, the ideas start flowing <laughs> and, and the conversations get a little crazy. And then, uh, a couple other co-workers come up and they're like, what are you guys talking about? I'm like, oh, Matt wants to do this. Oh, that'd be so cool. And kind of kind of spiraled from there. And we were talking about it a little bit, myself and Ron and Matt, and trying to decide if we could pull this off. And we got about halfway through the conversation, had more people come up, got a little uh, you know busy just catching up with each other. And I kind of just left it at that. And then when we got back, I emailed Matt and asked him, I'm like, so uh, are we doing that? Because I've, I've got to get busy on some things. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. 
I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. That's the introduction for uh, how this idea was born. But who is Blightergast? What is Blightergast? Uh, Blightergast is a giant dragon. <laughs> Enough said. So uh, we got to talk about it a little bit in the previous sections and uh, a little bit with Matt when we had interviewed him before. And we know that it's going to have something to do with the culmination for Warfare Weekend. And yeah, definitely. there is going to be some overlap with the story and how the fiction is unfolding. Yeah, it's going to be the narrative event at Warfare Weekend, which is our last show of the year. It's in uh, the first weekend of November here in St. Louis. I always call it my home show. It's where I interviewed for my job. So uh, Warfare Weekend is kind of a big deal to me. And uh, I like finishing it out. My friends come into town. We get to play games. Uh, we get to you know, get to hang out with each other. It's such a laid-back convention. And with us really pushing the narrative events, you know, this is just a, a great opportunity to wrap up the season. I don't, obviously I don't write the narrative events. I know uh, Lauren and Travis and Matt have a lot to do with that. Matt gets that is well, Matt Wilson too. And um, <laughs> I know they're wrapping things up and, and depending on how this plays out is kind of a helping shape the future of the IK. That is awesome. So out of sculpting this, has there been anything in particular you've just been like, oh my gosh, this is going to really be captivating. This is going to be awe-inspiring. Yeah, the head. <laughs> and we haven't, like, like we haven't shown that right before we got on here. You know, I logged on to social media and I know that we've been dropping just some pics here and there. And uh, I've recorded a couple of videos for Matt. And uh, like I'm looking at the spine and part of the back of this thing and it's just... It's just massive, but um, the head, uh, I say that because it, it just, it has so much character. Awesome. And uh, I, I just, I'm excited to show it. And when I was making these videos for Matt, he's like, we're not going to show the head. We're going to save that. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I love the mystery behind it. And the pictures we've spoiled so far with the giant claw that is like bigger than a human hand, Magnus. And Invictus, the Invictus picture looked t tiny compared. Yeah, it's it's. I, I didn't even know how big this thing was going to be. Honestly, I just, you know, we talked about it, but uh, <laughs> just seeing just seeing some of these these chunks of this print that we'll be putting together, and like you said, the scale with with Invictus and then the human hand, uh, it's it's just it's just giant. So I'm I'm super excited to see how it turns out. I know that. Uh, I, or I should say, I believe Ron Truzy is going to be painting this monster up, and I know he's been working on some other terrain. Nice. So it's it's kind of a kind of a fun deal, you know. It's you know one of Matt's designs, and I got sculpted, and Truzy is painting it, and uh, I'm super excited to to I, I'm super excited to see it. I've never Love worked on Ron. Something. He'll do a great job on it too. He'll oh, he'll, and he's doing he's doing some other terrain for the. For the narrative event too he was asking some questions about barriers and things the other day so um, i'm excited yeah. to see what he pulls off yeah he his his work never disappoints never ron's the best he, so he, is. he truly is that is i think all we have to talk about with blighter gas right well I, I mean yeah but the narrative event's gonna have a little bit of a little bit of help um there's this this thing i don't know a lot about it but it's called the lash of horva 
And the, the players are going to get a little bit of help from the Lash of Horva. And without going into great detail, it is a artifact, an Orgoth artifact. It's this crazy, uh, powerful mask. And uh, Sabreth is going to be there helping out. And it's, it, it's, it, it drives her crazy. You know, it drives, uh, drives people insane, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I'm just basing it on the art that I've seen because it's, it's out of control. It reminds me of like an old horror movie or monster movie or something. And um, so I'm excited to be able to share that too. I'm, I'm actually finishing that up today. And I, I think the terrain piece involved there might be available to people at some point, uh, possibly even at Warfare Weekend. I'm not sure on that one, though. Crazy. It sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited. And like I said, it's it's my home show, so I'm, I'm even more excited um, that you know we get to do something like this on that last show of the year. Most definitely. So uh, with the lead up to the show, what are you going to be playing at the event? Uh, I'm going to be playing Chimera because, um, nice. man, uh, you know, I've always been a Legion guy and mm-hmm. uh, I've always been a Snakes guy. And uh, <laughs> it, it's just Eric and I used to talk about that all the time when I'd visit with him. And we both liked Legion. And when this was, when Chimera was coming around, Eric was telling me, he goes, I think I've got him convinced to do this faction. What do you want to see? Uh, so we talked about it and he told me some of his ideas and what he was doing. And then as it was developing, he, he shared that and it's, he's just in a, the whole, the development team's done a good job on this. Uh, the, the visual team, uh, with Matt's ideas and Andrea's concepts are just unbelievable how good they are. Yeah. Those um, two make magic. Like when you put Matt and Andrea on a project, whatever you get is just going to be gold. Yeah, and, and I like like my first War Machine model was um was Aurora for Convergence, and yeah, I was blown boy. away by the line art. Yeah, I was blown away by the line art that Andrea had done, and I I just it was just so good. And now you know, ten years later, it's 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 just gotten better. It's really the Mark IV artwork is just insane. How good it is! My plan is to play Chimera. Um, yeah, I'm also I think I'm gonna sneak some of my Chimera uh, overseas for WTC. Nice. So John Swinkles and I will be over for WTC and Friday before WTC, before the actual event starts is usually casual play games, things like that. So I might try to get a couple games in with, um, with some of our Euro players and, um, you know, try to throw a few things at them that they haven't seen. Exciting. Look at you on the bleeding edge of the meta. Right. Right. I know I'm special. I'm just a bad player. Doug Hamilton is the meta. You heard it here first. Yeah. So what have you been playing lately? Oh, good question. Um, well, I kind of, I'm one of those army of the month kind of people. Like I play a new army every couple months just to keep did, it fun. Didn't you just do a tournament? I did. Or, okay. um, and I got another one coming up tomorrow. Ooh. Dang. Um, You're staying busy. What do you bring? So I really am enjoying Mark IV and the Orgoth seeing the siren call. Uh, I love their Viking aesthetic and Horusk is like quintessently, if you like boil down what I'd like in a, a caster for consistency's sake, he just, he ticked a lot of boxes for me um, coming over from Scorn and Menoth and all of these other, you know, factions that would have just loved a Horusk. Uh, he was a really comfortable place for me to land. And then, 
when I started playing him, I did something that I, you know, typically do whenever I'm exploring or learning a faction. I just played a bunch of games to kind of figure out where I landed on it. And yeah. I really like the list that I'm playing with him now, which is, it kind of bucks some of the trends of like Horusk and all the tyrants, which is great list, nothing against it. But I really like the elite infantry that we have in Orgoth. Um, axers, I love the axers. Axers are amazing. The rock harriers are amazing. Uh, and collectively, giving a whole bunch of things plus three armor and tough. Like if you do the math, the heavies tyrant version of the Horusclus has more boxes pound for pound. But when you spread the armor across a lot more guys and then integrate tough and the layers of it and the amount of units you can give it to, it becomes a lot to chew through. And so the trade-off is there for me. And so in that list, I'm also running double siege Terrasque. Um Ooh, that's that's edgy. It is. You know, well, so there's a couple of reasons. Um, the first is, of course, they're gorgeous models and I want to show them off, right? Yeah, totally, totally. Um the other is that whenever I look at a model, I kind of look at where it lands. Is it undercosted? Is it overstated? Is it, you know, just good enough? How does it look for its boxes? And the Terra stands out to me because for nine points, it's 24 boxes, right? It's just shy of a yeah. of a jackal. And so and it gets better when it gets hurt. It does. It has a great token mechanic and it has some good synergy with the witches pulling things into Dark Shroud and all of that. Um, yeah. But I really like it because it's nine points, but it's got the stat line of something heavy you have to trade for. And so it creates an equal exchange of, um, all right, we're playing a chess-like game, and I have to move forward at some point. So I'm going to put my Siege Terrasque out here, and hopefully he does about nine points worth of work. But then you take my Siege Terrasque with something really hard-hitting that's got to kill my Siege Terrasque, probably a big heavy unit or a heavy jack. And since he's only nine points, I'm hoping to trade up. And if I can make that trade twice, then I can trade up quite a bit. And because there's so much value in the list, because there's so many things spread out with the feet, that I really feel confident that that list is going to uh, be able to wither a lot of storms and dish a lot of punishment out. Yeah, I'm anxious to hear how you do. It sounds like a fun list. Uh, I love. I I really I really love everything about the Orgoth. They. Um, they look great. I've used them for so many demos at conventions. And um, Sabreth is possibly my favorite Mark Forecaster right now. Oh, I love her. That's my list, too. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, she's just, uh, she's my style. You know, she's she's not quite as in-your-face. I struggle with the in-your-face fa- in casters, which mm-hmm. I actually played a game earlier today and using Rassic, and um, I'm just trying to get used to playing a little bit more forward. Rassic can kind of play that same like midline game like Horus does, and Sabrath talk about a great you know support caster who just does True. so much efficiency. Um, and so of course wanting to play big models and and cool things, I wanted to get Magnus uh, for an Invictus in a list, and having a caster with crippling grasp and you know the ability to bring perdition models further up so I can trade Magnus last, and it's just. I really like uh, that big thresher, and it's a lot to like about yeah. that model. You know, as a, as a, you being an Orgoth player and liking liking big things, I don't know if you had a chance to look at the cadre for Orgoth, but had a couple pieces of art come across my desk earlier this week, and I finally get to work on some Orgoth. So, uh, man, these things are they're big and they're uh, they're really cool. I don't I don't even know what they are. But uh, 
I, I can't wait to show people this one. Um, I'm sure it's going to be fairly soon with the, uh, the cadres being, being worked on. Absolutely. I talked to Eric a little bit about him the other day. Mom's the word, right? We're not supposed to talk about it, but right, right. Uh, I'm super excited for it. I know that that's going to be one more thing for me to add to the army and paint it up. And the other cadre that we've seen and kind of got to be teased about have all been really exciting and intense. So there's so much to look forward to just because we got box one and box two doesn't mean that we're not getting another release. And so that excites me too. Yeah. And, and, and I, I just had a short conversation with Matt yesterday about upcoming things and the order of things and what to expect. And uh, he continues to blow me away as a, as a coworker and as a gamer, just um, I just get more and more excited about the product we're, we're putting out. Absolutely. You know, Mark four is chugging along. There's so much cool stuff just pumping out of the pipeline and I can't wait to see what we do next. Totally agreed. Well, do you have anything you, else you'd like to say, Doug, here as parting shots? Uh, you know, I'll be I'll be heading out to WTC in a couple of weeks, so I'm looking forward to seeing um, seeing my friends that I made there last year and meeting new people. And then I come back from that, and a week later is Warfare Weekend, so it's a busy, busy, busy time for me. But I get to see a lot of friends, and if you're coming to WTC or Warfare Weekend, stop by, say hello. Uh, talk shop with me. Uh, I can tell you stories that um, you know that are always entertaining. So it's always a good time. I am so jealous. That sounds like a blast, and uh, you'll have to take lots of pictures for us so that those living vicariously through the Hamilton can uh, be there too. Yeah, and I'm also hoping to take Blighter Gas home with me. <laughs> um, I got a nice spot picked out for it. That's incredible. In honor of Blighter Gas, you want to say roll drums? I got it. Roll drum. Ba, ba, ba.